Well, shoot. Josh even showed me there's a clock in the back I can look at to know when the video's done. I still can't get the timing right. Good morning, how are we doing? Glad to see you all this morning. I hope we're feeling alive, alert, ready, whatever the expression is. Do you guys know what, that, what I'm talking about here at all? No, nobody's ever heard that, that's okay. I'm James, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome, whether you're in the room here with us or you're online or you're watching later, we're glad that you're here and we're glad that you're um, joining us as a family. Um, before we get started, I have some housekeeping things. Um, so I wanted to make sure that everybody was sort of in the loop. If you weren't at our budget meeting this year, um, one of the things that was announced was that uh, my job is going to be eliminated. <laughs> so um, basically what happened was this year the budget got really tight. Um, we just experienced kind of a little bit of a uh, drop off on giving. And so some adjustments need to be made. And um, several years ago, the church had actually specifically created my position in order for me to be able to do something when I left youth ministry and be able to work at, at PV. And so it made perfect sense um, that when they needed to cut a position, they chose my position. Um, and so I told, I'm in total agreement with them. I don't, I don't feel angry or sad or, well, I feel sad, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and uh, I think it's probably the right choice for our church and for the budget to be able to, to continue to take care of that. Now that said, uh, that's the, the downside. Um, the upside, Kirsten and I, <clears throat> this is our church family. Um, Kirsten is still going to be working here as the children's uh, ministry director, and we weren't going to go look for a job elsewhere. It just wasn't, uh, wasn't something we wanted to do. We wanted to be able to stay here, and so we're going to stay here. Um, I'll still be around. I'll be doing a lot of the things I, I currently do, actually. I'll just be doing them as a volunteer, um, and I'm going to be working at uh, Fastenal in their IT department. So um, that transition will happen uh, at the beginning of January, which is why I'm bringing it up now, because uh, this will be the last time I preach before we get there. So, uh, yeah, so if you have any questions or whatever, I'd be happy to answer them. But like I said, it's um, the Lord has really blessed our family and taking good care of us in this transition. And it'll be cool to um, be able to do ministry as more of a lay person um, and uh and still invest into our church. And so I'm excited about that. So uh, I think that's it. Yeah, let's pray. <clears throat> Excuse me. Father, we thank you so much um, that we can be together uh, this morning, that we can be um, a family of believers together. I really love and appreciate your design for the church, this body of um, people that have sort of no reason to be together apart from um, the blessing of Jesus and the Spirit and um, yourself. And we just thank you that you have created a new temple out of this body of believers. Um, and so we're just, uh, we're blessed to be together, we're blessed to be um, gathering in your name, to be studying your word, um, to be singing your praises. And just thank you so much <clears throat> for your, um, your word and the, the beautiful things that we can receive and learn from it and the challenging things we can get into. And um, I especially thank you just for this morning's passage, one that's really touched me personally. I just ask, Lord, would you be speaking to us this morning? I know that I have nothing to, to bring, nothing to offer, nothing to give um, other than you. 
I'm definitely very much just a jar of clay. And it's the thing inside the Holy Spirit that's precious, not the jar of clay. And so I, I just ask that my ideas, my words, my thoughts would fall away. <clears throat> and that your Holy Spirit would teach all of us, including me. We know that you can um, do pretty incredible things through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the series we're in is Best Prayer Ever. Um, and one of the sort of fun things about this particular series is each uh, person teaching is getting to choose the the prayer that they want to highlight. And so you're getting to see little uh, tastes of different things that have sort of impacted each of us and that kind of thing, which I think is kind of a fun way to be able to uh, go through a series. And so uh, this morning, I'm going to share with you guys actually sort of a a bigger chunk of scripture. So it'll be a little more towards the side of a lot of reading, <laughs> a little less of the teaching, um, because I really want you to get the context for what we're ultimately going to land on. Uh, this passage was extremely meaningful for me. Um, even just, I think it was like six months or a year ago that this really hit me. And I'm hoping that it'll be a blessing to you as well. Um, and so we're in Ephesians this morning, Ephesians uh, chapters one through three. So um, we obviously won't read all of it. We just don't have time. Um, but uh, we're going to try to highlight as much as we can as we go through it. So I'm just going to jump straight into it because we got, we got a lot to get through. So in chapter one, uh, Paul is obviously writing to uh, the Ephesians, or so we think. Um, there's an interesting little note. You'll see a footnote in your Bibles, uh, at least in the ESV. I know it's there. That It'll say um, where it says to the Ephesians. There's actually a footnote, footnote that says the earliest manuscript didn't have the Ephesians in there. It was, it was just to uh, a group of churches. And so scholars have a bunch of different arguments for what that might mean. And I, the one that I favored as I was looking through it, and I'm not a scholar, but the one that I favored was that it was probably written not only to the Ephesians, but uh, to all the churches in that region, essentially. It was uh, sort of a circular letter, um, which is interesting as we study. The reason I'm bringing this up, besides it's an interesting fact, is as we go through this letter, you're going to see Paul laying down some very foundational principles that could sort of be given to any church, right? And that's one of the things that is, strikes me as kind of cool about this, um, this opportunity to study this particular letter, um, and at least the first half of it, is that this, this feels very applicable anywhere. I mean, the, the Bible in general does, obviously. But, you know, sometimes when you see it uh, address a particular group of people, you, you go through that wrestling match of like, okay, is this about them or me or shared or what, you know, kind of a thing. And so I like that this is sort of a circular letter written to a bunch of churches. It makes it that much easier to be like, yeah, no, this applies to me, right? And so, it's going to start off, Paul does his usual greeting, and it starts off with Paul painting a picture for us. He, he, he does this very uh, grand buildup of what God has done, right? And so I'm just going to quickly read this to you, and I just want, just let this kind of marinate a little bit, right? Because this is set us up for, as we go through the rest of this, um, this time together, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So, I mean, right there, you've already got, and that you, we could spend a whole sermon just, just talking about that one little chunk, right? There's some really cool statements in there that we just don't have time to unpack, but he continues to say, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And then, as if that wasn't a cool enough buildup, he's going to explain our inheritance. He says, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might, uh, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So it's just this really magnificent uh, picture of what God has done, right? It's all about God. It's all about what God has done, this predestining, this, this reconciliation through the blood of Jesus, this, this really beautiful picture of what he's done. And then he talks about the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us as a sign and a seal for our future redemption, right? Because you get into, and again, it's one of those theology things we, we don't really want, want to dive into right now, but you have this sort of things happen now and also things happen later, right? So we're both like saved now and we're also saved later, that kind of a thing. And he's saying this, the Holy Spirit is sort of that seal, that promise that that's occurring, right? And so he builds up this beautiful picture and then he goes to this. And this is the first of two pieces of prayer that Paul is going to talk about. In this case, he's going to explain how he prays for the churches. He says this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul's response to, first of all, everything that God has done, right? All these amazing things that God has done, the seal of the Holy Spirit, and then hearing about other people's faith, right? Not even knowing these people, just hearing about their love for each other. His response is to, give thanks to God, right? He's constantly giving thanks to God for these other believers that he barely knows, right? Which I don't know if that gives you a little insight into Paul. For me, that, that gives me a little bit of a picture of Paul's like thought process, right? The, the things that he dwells on, right? I, I gotta be honest, I don't do this, right? I'm, I might give thanks if I hear about a particular person, uh, you know, a particular story or something, and it's really cool. I might be like, oh God, that's really cool. But I, I'm not, I'm not constantly thinking of all the churches in the world that are praising Jesus. I'm not constantly thinking of all the faith stories that I've heard that, about, about these people who are invested in Jesus and how wonderful it is that they love each other and all that stuff. And, and so you get a little picture of the depth of Paul's prayers here, right? He's getting so in sync with Jesus and Jesus's desires and loves and hopes and, and all these things, that he is starting to pray those same things, pray thanks for those things occurring, right? And so I don't know if that gives you something to kind of aspire to a little bit. It does for me, right? It gives me this, I, I want to like feel that sense of like, yeah, Lord, that is really beautiful that there are churches all over the world that love you and are, are loving each other and are doing it, right? They're, they're chasing after Jesus. I want to be inspired to, to want to pray like that all the time, to, to do that ceaselessly, right? So that's the first thing he, he gives. He gives this picture. And then he says, 
that God, the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, and this is a, a, a slightly confusing way he says this, because he, he says give the spirit, and it, it feels a little bit like, so is he talking to believers or unbelievers, but this is just a, a Jewish turn of phrase, a, a way that Jews might say it, to really say more, more along the lines, I wrote this out because I was trying to figure out how to say it, what you have already received will be experienced in the granting of these things. That's, and this is straight a quote from a commentary because I could not have possibly known that. And so basically what, what he's getting at here is in the participation and the experience of this wisdom and revelation that you'll sort of experience the spirit, right? That's, that's this, this big prayer he's, he's putting up for the churches. And so this is a cool thing, right? Because a lot of times when we think about knowledge and wisdom, we think about like building up this amazing theology and repertoire of important facts about God or whatever else. That's not what he's talking about though. He's talking about a very personal knowing. He's talking about a very personal experience of him, a very personal relationship with the spirit, this sort of opening up of the, the depths of who God is within me, right? Like this, this incredible relationship we get to have. That's what he's praying for. He says, uh, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? So again, his desire is that we start to dive in in such a way that the spirit starts to come alive in us in such a way that these three things happen. Our, our hearts are enlightened. Our, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened to be able to know what is the hope that he's called us to. Right, what is the hope that he's called us to? Just the incredible reality that this is not our home, right? The incredible reality that everything negative that happens here is building a positive thing there, right? The, the, the incredible reality that this broken place is going to be reconciled into a reality that is good, right? That, that, that this earth is going to pass, but we're going to have a new earth and a new heaven with a new city with a great king, right? That's the hope. Right? And he, he's praying that, that believers, that the churches, our eyes will be open to that. That we'll, we'll actually be aware and paying attention to this incredible hope. Right? That's the first thing he, he wants. The second thing he wants is that our eyes will be open to the immeasurable greatness of his, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped, <laughs> to the riches of his glorious inheritance. Right? What Christ has done for us, the purchase of new life, the, in the reality that we're going to be uh, adopted, even as we are adopted, right? That we are going to be sons and daughters of the king, that we're going to, in some strange mechanism, even rule with Christ, right? These, these incredible inheritance promises. He's praying that our eyes would be open to that. And then he continues, he says, he, he prays that we would be, our eyes would be open to the immeasurable greatness of his power, toward us who believe, right? That we would realize that God is sovereign and powerful and in control and mighty, right? That the world is not spinning into chaos, but an incredible hand is on it, doing incredible things with the evil things that are being done, right? That we have a God that is not in some way at like even battle with an enemy, right? A lot of times we can sort of confusedly think that like Satan and God are sort of like having this battle, right? And they're kind of balancing each other out. no. 
No, it's nothing like that, right? Satan loses. That's it. That's the end of the story, right? We already know the end. He knows the end, right? Why do you think he's so ticked? You know, and, and so we have this incredible God that in, he's reminding these churches that are in the, in the world of uh, being influenced by all these fearful things, right? And there's, a, there's a belief that there are, you know, uh, like magical beings and, and gods and all kinds of things that he's trying to reassure, like, that's nonsense. Like, none of that has any, any power over our God. I want your eyes to be open to the incredible power of your God. And, and that God who loves you and, and has his hand on you, right? So these are the three things he, he's praying for for this church. He wants his, our eyes to be open to that. And then he says, to expand on the, that power statement, he says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, his right hand in the heavenly places. So this is not just a God that loses at death, right? Even at death, he wins, Right? That's demonstrated in Jesus who was raised from death and then seated at the right hand, right? That's, that's a picture maybe we don't super grab because we're, we're not, you know, in that period of time. The right hand of a ruler, very important position. Very powerful, very authoritative. It gave you almost perfect equal standing with that ruler. It meant that you had sort of their uh, ability to call the shots, that you were advising and, and talking to the ruler, right? And so Jesus being placed in that position shows his intercession for us, his incredible power over all things, his dominion over entirety of, of everything, all of creation, right? It's this incredible picture. And he says, uh, far above rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Which, by the way, if that phrase is confusing, that fullness of him who fills all in all, uh, again, I had to look this up. <laughs> uh, it means to become present to or active in respect to or extend influence or rule over. So he's just reemphasizing the authority of Jesus over all things, right? And so... This, hopefully, just this little piece, right? This is sort of actually the setup for the thing that we're actually going to land on a little more. But I really want us to catch this because Paul's first set of prayers for the church is that we would grapple with this reality, that our eyes would be opened, the heart, uh, the eyes of our heart would be opened to these realities, right? And I don't know about you, but my eyes are dozing a lot. Like they're barely like a little slit open, right? Like I'm kind of, you know, when my son falls asleep, he oftentimes kind of keeps like one eye just a little open, right? That's what I'm doing oftentimes with these promises or these realities. I'm, I'm missing the incredible reality of the inheritance of who our God is, of what he's done for us. This should change everything in our lives, this should rock our worlds, right? If you have had, if you have started a relationship with Jesus, it should mess everything up in a great way, right? Because your whole worldview is turned upside down, right? Everything is different when these things start to come alive in your heart. It just changes everything. And so uh, he continues, and oh, I, I saw a footnote also, or a, a, a mentioning in, on one commentary I was reading that I thought was really cool. He was talking about how when Jesus 
uh, was removed from the earth, you could sort of picture that as like a loss of influence, right? Like, oh, well, he's not around anymore, but he's removed from the earth to be put in the greatest position of influence, right? The right hand of the father. And of course, we could get into Trinity realities here and all that stuff. But I think that's a really cool, just, just a little side note. So he is ultimate above all things. And so next, Paul's going to step into Ephesians 2. And in a lot of ways, Ephesians chapter 2 is a connection point for this same set of prayers that he's praying for for the churches, right? He's, he's got this incredible set of prayers. He's like, I really want this to happen in all of you. I really want your eyes to be open to all of this. And then he's going to kind of build off of that. And I'm just going to read it to you. And you can just try to, try to grab some of this. It says, uh, starting verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, okay? So he, 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 just harsh reality here. You were dead, spiritually dead, on your way to reality dead, right? You were lost. You were gone. You were indulging in things you thought were life that were killing you, right? You were, you were taking poison on a regular basis, you were so far gone, you didn't even know it. You were that dead, right? And he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were children of wrath, meaning we were objects of God's wrath. Right? That's, that was where we were at. That was what we were right? And then he continues to say, but God, which is always a great statement when you find it in the Bible, but God, because usually if there isn't a but God, we're in huge trouble, right? <laughs> that's, that's what it is. It's usually like humans do this, uh-oh, right? But God, right? And this is, this is that incredible, like sort of the pinnacle of but God's, right? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, not because we deserved it, not because he was like, well, you know, they're doing okay. No, miserable, wretched beings, but God was merciful and greatly loving, looks on us and says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Right in the midst of the, the worst of the worst, right? You know, sometimes we have an easy time forgiving people when they're repentant, right? When someone comes to us, it's like, you know, I really messed up. I'm so sorry. It's usually pretty easy for us to be gracious with that. Yeah, sure. Oh, that's all right. I understand, right? But when someone is like determinedly continuing to sin against you in some way or another, it's pretty hard, right? You really got to like dig deep to that like Holy Spirit help to be able to forgive someone in that moment. So, Imagine now if, if we're talking on the scale of God's perfection and our evil. We're just actively sinning against him again and again, just being wretched, horrible people, giving him the middle finger. While we were like that, that's when he came in. That's when he saved us, right? It says, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. If not for him, we were dead. We were toast. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. 
It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. Just in case you ever thought you could take credit for your salvation, that passage will just knock that, mind, knock that thought right out of your mind. You have no credit here. You have no credit. You have responsibility, but you have no credit. So for the rest of chapter two, Paul digresses just a little bit. He starts to talk about the, the ultimate reconciliation of things, right? And it's again, it's a beautiful, you should really read Ephesians. It's a beautiful picture, right? Uh, of the reality of the Gentiles being far from God and the Jews sort of being with God, but also not because of you know, then being unable to follow the law and how God brings everybody back together and creates this unity. And it's this picture of how, even when we go back to creation, God made everything perfect and then we just ruined it, right? We just come in and just mess everything up, right? And so right there, division begins, things fracture, countries, you know, the whole nine yards, division, division, division. And it's this picture of how God's ultimate purpose is to bring it all back together, Right? Now, obviously, there are those that will participate in that reconciliation and those that won't. You have to put your trust in Jesus to be a part of that reconciliation. You must, because otherwise you are dead in your sin. And so, as he continues, he, he kind of finishes his, this digression that's part of it, and it's, it's actually a focal point of the chapter in a lot of ways. Um, but what I want to do is bring us back to Paul's prayers again, which is uh, sort of comes back around in chapter three. And so he starts off, he starts to go into this. He says, uh, for this reason, oh, sorry. He says before this, he says, uh, I, Paul, and, and he, he gives a brief note that he's a prisoner there. And then he kind of pauses and explains. And the reason he's explaining, in case you didn't, didn't think about this, remember I told you in the beginning, this was sort of a circular letter written to a bunch of of churches, a lot of these churches had never met Paul. They might have heard of him, but they hadn't necessarily met him. Ephesus knew Paul. He lived in Ephesus for several years, which is another reason we know that this probably wasn't written just to Ephesus, because he wouldn't take the time to explain this, right? Uh, but he just explains, this is who I am. I'm, a, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and I'm a prisoner because of it, right? Because ultimately, if you, if you sort of connect the dots a little bit, in Acts, you remember how Paul uh, goes to Jerusalem and he gets arrested there and he's trying to make a defense for what he's doing and, and then he faces a couple trials and he appeals to Caesar. Well, this letter would have been written during that, that sometime during that process of him being in, the, in chains going to see Caesar kind of a thing. And so, so he just explains that. And then he comes back at verse 14. He says, for this reason, and this is, this is the, the prayer that I really want us to land on and think about. This, this hit me hard. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, it might not seem like an overly impressive statement, but you have to uh, know something about Jews. Jews typically prayed standing. Bowing uh, down on your knees would have only been reserved for very, very important pleading prayers. So this is, this is one of Paul's greatest desires. This is, he is saying, this is the thing. This is my big, deep prayer for you. Which I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm like, well, what is it? <laughs> like, there's, a, there's like, a, okay, what is it? He says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He's the creator of all things, right? 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now let's just pause because there, there's, there's a lot there, right? He says that, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. Now, a, a lot of times when we see power, we, we think about like sort of modern concepts of power or whatever else. This is, this is spiritual power, and this is spiritual power in the sense of capacity to, to understand, to dive deep with God, right? This, this, this spiritual development, if you will, right? We might call this spiritual maturity, right? That you would, you would get strengthened in faith, that you would get deeper in your following, that you would really dig in, right? He's saying, I want, I want that God would give you that kind of power, that through the Spirit in your inner being, right? Deep, deep down, not, not head knowledge, right? So often, especially American church, right? I, I can't pick on other churches because I don't know them, but I know the American church, we get real caught in the head knowledge. It's dangerous, I'm not saying head knowledge is bad, but it's dangerous, right? Bible specifically says knowledge puffs up, right? We have to be really, really careful that our relationship with God isn't just <laughs> in this spot right here, right? Because we're missing a huge piece if that's where we are. If, if we're just getting knowledge fat, right? It's dangerous for us, right? He's, he's saying, I want deep down in your inner being, not, on, not in your head, deep down in your inner being, that you'd be strengthened with power through the Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Right? That's a really amazing picture, right? Christ dwelling in our hearts. He's not, he's not just talking about initial salvation, right? He's talking about this deep, residing dwelling of Christ in us, right? This, 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 this thing that affects us, that comes out of us, that's tangible, right? He says uh, that you being rooted and grounded in love, which is an interesting statement, right? Rooted and grounded in love. That rooted, you know, that's the roots are the source of a plant. Grounded, you know, the very baseline, right? We're talking about the, the foundations here. The foundations being in love, rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength Strength is an interesting word. To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, this may feel like a familiar verse to some of us, but I want us to pause and really think about what he's saying here because this is, this is a very, very significant statement, right? And, and I'm going to pick specifically on the last tiny piece. He says, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Okay? So, uh, one way we might say this in, in a more modern way is, it blows your mind. <laughs> right? Like, it is so far beyond what I can get my head around. What I can understand up here. Right? Get, get an intellectual grasp on. I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe this doesn't happen to you. But when I think about it, like infinity or eternity, my, it, like I literally start to get a headache. Have you ever done that? Anybody ever experienced this? Where you like, you dwell on, on something that's really, 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 really vast and has no end. And you're just like, ow, like that, <laughs> that hurts to try to get my head around. It's like my brain's frying out or something like that, right? 
That's the kind of love that we're talking about here. In the same way that, that space goes on forever and never ends, just goes on and on, that's the kind of love we're talking about. That's an unimaginable love. I cannot even begin to comprehend that, right? He prays that we would know that. Now, obviously, he's not talking about head knowledge. He just said you cannot get it in your head. He's talking about that deep, deep inner dwelling, right? So how do we know this? Going back again, just in case you forgot, right? That Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, right? So how do we, how do we know this love? We ask God to expand in us that strength so that, that Jesus would dwell in us in a deep residing way. And then we would really start to, to know that love in a, in a tangible, experiential, I know that love kind of way, right? It's, it's the same thing. If you've ever seen this picture of like, it's like, if you're talking about the president or something like that, right? And you, you're talking about um, his kids, they know him in a very different way than I know him, right? I can know a bunch of facts about him. I don't have any familiarity with him. I don't have any depth of, of, of knowledge, right? But his kids would, right? And it's the same kind of thing. He, we're invited into this experience of depth of love, this incredible reality that this is where it all starts, right? That, that God did all of this. He set all of this up is out of this great love, that he looked at wretched sinners who deserve hell. That's the right answer to the incredible evils that we do. And out of love, he said, I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to save them. And that required an incredible depth of love, right? And this love is unknowable. It's so vast. And uh, one of the things that I really love about this by the way, is that this gives us permission to pray that we would know God's love. That feels so like weird to me. It's like, because I wouldn't go to my wife and be like, hey, can you teach me how to know your love? Like, that'd be super weird, right? <laughs> She'd be like, what? <laughs> but, but we can ask that in the case of God, right? He, Paul is praying for this for the churches. We can pray asking for this for ourselves. It's okay to say, God, I don't know if I really know the depths of your love. Will you teach me? Right? Because there's an incredible reality going on there that I don't want to miss. And he says, you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Did you just, did you catch that? Right? So many of us want a deep residing relationship with God, right? We really, we would like that. We might not necessarily work for it, <laughs> but we would like that. That's something we would really love to have a real, very deep, very real, intense relationship with God. Well, here's your, your pathway. Right? He just said it clear as day. You'll be filled with all the fullness of God. In other words, you'll be living it out day by day, experiencing him and acting like it. Right? When the more that you tap into this reality, the more that God opens your heart, gives you strength to comprehend, allows you to interact with the Spirit, the more it's going to come alive in you and the more you're going to act it out. And then, by the way, we go back to that, those first prayers that Paul was asking, those are all going to come alive. Right? When we know God in that kind of way, that depth of love, 
our eyes are going to be open to spiritual realities that we often close them to. We're going to remember the incredible power of our God. We're not going to forget. We're going to remember the incredible riches of the inheritance. We're going to remember the reality of what kind of thing we have with him. And we're going to act like it and live it out day by day, moment by moment. Right? If this isn't the reality for you, you're missing out on an offer from God. If you go through your life day by day without thinking about him, without living like a Christian, without there being much life in you, you are missing out on something God is freely giving you. Right? Remember Jesus in John 10, 10 said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. So when we're asleep to the realities of Christ, guess which one we're experiencing? The thief's winning. That's all it takes. Get us distracted. Get us worldly. Get us fleshly. Get us too focused on the, on the things of this world. That'll take us right off track. Remember, the enemy knows how it all ends, but he can try to mess with us in the meantime. So, this is a, a really incredible picture of our pathway to fullness of God, right? Have you ever met someone who follows Jesus? And a lot of times it's an older person who's had a lot of time following Jesus to finally figure this out. And they're just ridiculously joyful to like an obnoxious degree. You're like, tone it down. Like, they get this. Their eyes are wide open. A lot of ours are very, very close to closed. So, Paul concludes with this. And I'll invite the worship team up. And I think, I think this, is, this, is, this is really a helpful thing for any prayer but especially when we're talking about these incredible spiritual realities, right? Like I can't somehow get into my own heart and like peel my eyelids open, right? Like I can't do that. I can't just be like, oh, wake up, right? I need God to do these things. Now I'm a participant. Don't get me wrong. I'm a participant in that process, but I need God to do it. I really need him to come in and mess me up inside, Get me unlatched from this world, right? Get my claws out of the things of this world, right? Like we are so distracted by this world. That's, that's not how it's supposed to be. And by the way, when we're distracted by this world, we always think that we're like experiencing good things in that. We're missing good things in that. We're actually going back to the way things were, participating in what we thought was life and is really death. Right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we, like, become these, like, people that have no connection with what's going on around them or whatever else. Right? No, go live in, on a mountain as a monk. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about living our life day in and day out in full connection with Jesus and our eyes wide open instead of being so consumed by this world. By the by material things and desires and possessions and stresses of, you know, who's in charge and what's happening and all these, these intense things that we, we just dive into or like social media or entertainment. Oh my gosh. How much have we lost to entertainment? How much life have we lost to entertainment? 
So he says this, and this is, this is just great hope. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think. Think about that. Our God's able to do far more, far more than we can ask or think. If, there, if there's just like the spark of desire in you, like, oh, that does sound good. I do want to experience life abundant with Jesus. Oh. Like if there's just a little, little hint there, right? God can do so much more than that. He can, he can run with that. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, whatever prayer it is, so much more than we could ask or even think of. According to the power at work within us, the Holy Spirit deposited in us for the day of redemption. Right, this beautiful promise. If we've put our trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Because ultimately, that's what it's about. Believe it or not, your life is not about you. I know that's weird because I'm like totally the center of my story. Like I want life to be about me so frequently. My flesh is like, no, it's me. It's not about us. We are participating in something so much greater than us. And it's the glorification of God through the church in Jesus Christ. And so as we come alive to Jesus, and by the way, that's an incredible experience for us to come alive, to experience the true joy and life of Jesus, to have our eyes fully awake and open and seeing spiritual realities. As we participate in that, ultimately we participate in the grand plan, which is glory to God. Throughout all generations, we're just participants of a long list of people who have participated in this forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, the, the book of Ephesians always just really rocks me. Um, there is so, so much deep spiritual truth available to us in your word. And um, I see that really obviously in Ephesians, just this incredible reality that we are so asleep to these incredible truths and life. We're stumbling through life, sleepwalking, thinking we're experiencing life. And God, I pray for all of us. I pray so, so pleadingly. Would you open our eyes? Would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you make us aware of the reality of your love? And would that be a pathway to experiencing the fullness of you within us? And would that be a pathway to our eyes being open to who you are and what you've done and what it means? Would we stop being so distracted? Would the enemy stop being so successful in pulling us off course? And I'm just reminded of, of in Corinthians when it says that we can, we can be tangled up by sin, but we can also just be tangled up by weights, just other stuff, not even sin. And Satan's not above using both. Would you help us shed all that and run? 
experience the fullness of life in you, experience abundant life in you, be able to really, really live to your glory. Would you open our eyes and allow us to experience all that you are in a way that makes us those really annoying, joyful people? Would we be able, when we come together, to just be in awe of you? Just telling one another, I cannot believe how good God is. I cannot believe what he's, can you believe this? Look at this, look at this truth. I'm reminded of how we're supposed to sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Chasing each other on in this truth. So would you help us here and now to shed the weights, shed the sin, shed the stuff that's slowing us down. If we haven't put our trust in Jesus, would you help us right now to go, I need this. I want this. I want, a, I want all this junk to die. Go. Be crucified. I want Jesus. I want life. I know I'm dead. I need him. And if we've put our trust in him, but we're just distracted and caught up in sin, would you just lead us into a place of killing that right now, laying it down? Saying, I don't need anything but you. You are priority number one. You are all that matters. You are Lord. So God, I thank you for the powerful truths in your word. And I thank you so much for the things that I need to hear. Would you allow us in this moment to reflect, to experience you, to be driven to being alive with you and ultimately to just worship you like crazy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.